Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Crute. We're the co-editors of Film Comment. Here at FC, we're always excited when we discover a new filmmaker or body of work that we didn't know about. So when we saw that the Museum of Modern Art would be screening the films of Finnish director Ilka Jarvi Laturi, we were intrigued, to say the least. Jarvi Laturi made only three features in his life, each of which is maverick in its own right. His 1989 debut, Homebound, is a gritty realist film about a young man struggling to escape a cycle of violence. City Unplugged sets a heist in the wake of Estonia's independence in the 1990s. And History is Made at Night, the strangest of the bunch, is an international star-studded spy thriller-slash-screwball comedy set between New York City and Helsinki. Together, the films represent a unique creative vision, one that combines genre ambitions with a defiantly indie sensibility and unexpected sense of humor. To learn more about Yarvi Laturi's career and work, we invited Steve McFarlane, one of the curators of the MoMA Retrospective, and Hanu Björkbeka, a Finnish critic, to the podcast. We hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you live in New York City, don't miss the screenings this week at MoMA. We have with us Steve McFarlane, who was one of the curators of the series. Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you, Devika. My name is Steve McFarlane. I am the department assistant at MoMA Film. And we have with us a very special guest all the way from Finland. Uh, Hanu, do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you, Devika. So pleased to be here. I'm Hannu Björkbakka, and I am a film critic for Keski-Pohjanmaa newspaper. I have been writing uh, reviews for it uh, for 35 years now, but I'm, I have always been a freelancer. And uh, my hometown is Kokkola, and it's uh, now well known in film circles because Juho Kuosman and the Cannes winner uh, director is also hails from Kokkola, which is a 50,000 uh, people city here in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And claim to fame. Um, <laughs> so, Steve, as I was saying earlier, I didn't know anything about uh, Ika Yarvi Laturi's work until MoMA announced this retrospective. And it's been really kind of wonderful discovering, you know, his body of work, which uh, the four films that are being shown in the series, three directed by him, one in which he assisted are all very, very different from each other and very distinct in style. Can you talk a little bit about how and when you discovered Ika and what sort of led to this series? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm going to have a very different approach to that question than Hanu because I did not know Ika and I was not really around when his films were being released. I first learned about him um, through my friend Hisami Kuroiwa, who is an inveterate uh, independent film producer from the 1990s. She worked with Sarah Driver. She worked with Wayne Wang. Um, She was involved in the distribution of City Unplugged in Japan, where she is originally from. And in 2020, she was moving during the pandemic. She had a lot of stuff she had to sort of de-access. And she gave me a VHS tape of the film. I had never heard of it. I had never heard of Ika's name. And I was just really taken by its kind of ingenuity and its kind of spunk and its scale of production. Um, And I wish that I had actually looked into programming his films back then instead of waiting. I don't know why I waited. I just knew that he was in China. He had relocated to Burma. But, you know, I would just disclose up front that that was the only one of his films that I was able to see before we started working on this retrospective. And that film was from was made in 1993. Is that right? Uh, correct. Yeah. Shot in 92, released in or first shown in festivals in 93. And then I think it got a kind of cursory release here in the States. I think it played two weeks at the quad is what they said, um, either in 93 or 94. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just wondering, Steve, if you can 
also say a little bit about what then prompted the series, you know, now. Um, if, you know, you said you wished you had programmed it back then in 2020 when you discovered City Unplugged, uh, what made it happen in 2024? Well, the 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 main impetus for the series is the fact that that Ika died in March of 2023 of a of a kind of a rare um, blood disease, and he was only 60, maybe 61 years old. Uh, my colleague here at MoMA, Dave Kerr, knew Ika socially back when they were in the kind of East Village downtown scene. He also reviewed City Unplugged for the New York Daily News very favorably when it was released. And basically, you know, I did a little bit of research into the the rights, but also the materials, you know, the prints of these films. I had originally thought this might work at Spectacle in Brooklyn, but especially you know, given the kind of urgency of a, of a, of the idea of a memorial retrospective, I kind of thought we should really, you know, shoot for the moon. And then Dave approved the idea. So he and I began kind of crafting the memorial retrospective together to take place here at MoMA. And, you know, I mean, in terms of showing them on film and in terms of kind of bringing more attention to Ika's body of work, I think MoMA was the best place for this retrospective to happen. Wonderful. And Hanu, uh, let's turn to you now. You've known Ika uh, and his work way longer than, you know, any of us on this call. Can you tell us a little bit about the first time you saw his movies, you know, your introduction to his work and what that represented in kind of the Finland cinema scene in the 90s? Uh, okay, thanks, Devika. Um, I think I saw his first film, Homebound, at the same time when I started my uh, career <laughs> as a uh, writer on film, uh, but I didn't uh, review it, so so I haven't uh, that review. I I unfortunately missed out on. Um, it's very very nice, and I'm grateful and happy that Moma is having this retrospective of 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 his three only three films because I think that. Uh, even in Finland, he is a kind of a specialty because he only made these three films, and of which the only the first one is really uh, inherently Finnish film. And the first one is Homebound, right? That's the only really Finnish film. Yeah, Kotia Päin. Yes, and that is in 1989. Uh, they'll hate me in Finland, but I think that uh, Eka Järvilaturi is more appreciated and revered, his films revered in uh, uh, in foreign lands, in the, abroad, than they are in Finland. I think that the Finnish uh, National Institute of uh, Audiovisual Things uh, uh, showed some of his films now that he died in, in, in March, but uh, have this kind of um, appreciation at MoMA is, is very, uh, very nice to have. Um, uh, yes, uh, I really love his first films, Homebound, and then, of course, uh, City Unplugged, which also goes by the name of Darkness in Tallinn, which I think, I think show his best uh, ideas and his best uh, visual sense. Yeah, they are dense films and they are very small budget films, but when you have a small budget, you have to uh, have to use your craft and your imagination, and that's uh, that's what uh, he really has in these films in in spades. So I love these films. I love them from the first time I saw them. I think I didn't see uh, City Unplugged in the cinema. I saw it on Finnish TV first, and it's it it has been shown many times on TV. But uh, I I just uh, gathered some information that. Homebound was only seen in Finland by uh, 15,000 people. And his last one, his biggest film, uh, was had only uh, 8,000 people in the cinemas. Uh, history is made at night. So that was a flop in terms of Finnish uh, in Finland too, even if they had those big films. So that kind of gives you the idea that maybe Ilka wanted to uh, leave Finland and try his uh, his abilities somewhere else. But I think his first films are great, and I saw them again, all these films uh, now, and uh, I haven't seen um, History as Made at Night uh, since I saw it 
when it was released in Finland because I hated to see it being such low quality compared to his other films. But now that I saw it today on a Finnish DVD, so uh, I liked it a bit more because there are 20 good minutes in the end, at the end. I wanted to ask when Homebound and City Unplugged were released, what was happening in Finnish cinema? In what context did these did these films come out of? What was Ilka's community at the time? Well, uh, of course, uh, in in 1985, he was the director's assistant, not assistant director, but director's assistant for the great uh, Finnish filmmaker uh, Rauni Molberg in his biggest film and his biggest success. Um, uh, the Unknown Soldier, the second version in 1985. And he was also a bit player, a bit actor in, in that film. And also he was before, uh, a bit later, he was also in, in the other great Finnish filmmaker, uh, Mikko Niskanens, who made the, the Eight Deadly Shots and such and such in one of his later films. He, in, in that one, with Mikko Niskanen, Ilka Järvilaturi was an assistant director. So uh, I think that some of that Mikko Niskanen's and uh, Molle Molberg's rough style uh, can be seen in his first film, Homebound, uh, and its uh, characters and the naturalism and and, uh, scholar of the the people and the homes depicted in there. Uh, I think that that's uh, some kind of influence from Rauni Mulberry especially. Uh, and also he uses some of the same actors as you can, which you can see in Mulberg's film. But there was also influence coming, uh, coming, uh, coming back to Mulberg, but I think I now didn't, don't remember what, <laughs> what it was because something, something was also that I will find it some sometime that that Ilka uh, Jalvilaturi gave yes he gave his great great um, uh, cinematographer Chell Lagerroos also to uh, Molberg's films Chell Lagerroos is a great Finnish um, uh, cinematographer and his first film was uh, Homebound and then uh, Rauni Molberg used Cellagerus in his later film Ustratoverit, uh, Friends, Comrades, which, which was a big budget film but didn't succeed. And now unite now Cellagerus from the Finnish film Sisu, which was also quite a success in the U- United States. Mm. And what culturally, socially, artistically, what was the mood in Finland at the time? I'm asking. Sort of because, you know, in the 90s, there was a very specific kind of cinema that was really becoming prominent in the U.S. There was this transition to digital and there was this, uh, you know, a particular kind of independent cinema taking hold. And was it sort of similar in Finland? What were sort of the movements then in Finnish cinema? Yeah, and I feel like everything, the Finnish cinema who's most, who's most famous to us is uh, Aki Kurosmaki. And there's obviously a big, this is very different. So there's, there's this, clearly this whole other world of Finnish cinema. Yes, uh, uh, of course, uh, Aki Kaurismäki and Otromika Kaurismäki, his brother, they were, they were uh, making their first films and uh, having, having uh, great success. And the old ones, like Rauni Mulberry and Mikko Niskanen, they were kind of ending their career quality-wise. Uh, I knew Molberg a bit because I was in his last uh, uh, cinema release, uh, uh, Children of the Paradise. I was an extra in that. And it was a really big flop and it ended his, uh, his career in, in, the, in the cinema in 1994. Uh, but after that, he, made, he, he made, uh, get, got back to television and made some great television uh, uh, short story films, and I knew him a bit. So I can say that if uh, Ilka Järvilaturi uh, managed uh, to be his assistant, Molle Molberg's assistant, in this uh, very difficult 
big, big film, the uni, uh, Universal Soldier, the second uh, film version in 19, 1985. I think he, he could manage anything because uh, Molle Wahlberg was a very difficult person. And I saw some of that in action. But, but Ilka Jalpilaturi probably learned a lot uh, of these experiences with, with Mulberry. But they were going down and, uh, at, in the 90s and, uh, and of course, Kauris Mäki was coming up. I'm very bad at, with um, uh, years. <laughs> I, don't, I can't say which films were the best at the, at, at the time. I should, I could, I, I'd have to look them up. We've had some curiosity about the choice to include um, Mulberg's film, The Unknown Soldier. Yeah. And the main reason that it's included is because of a conversation I had with a very close friend of Ilka's named John Maher, um, who's an attorney, not a filmmaker, and Ilka's sister, Elena Lind, who who is not here. She's in Finland. And they, bo- they both corroborated for me that basically, even though he's not credited, <clears throat> Ilka not only appears in the film but also had, uh, it seems to have been, an increasing amount of responsibility during the shoot as an assistant to the director. And in their view, you know, I don't know if Hanu, if you have anything that could substantiate this or not, but but basically it seems that Ilka had some influence over this film's aesthetic. And what's important to note is that the film is adapted from a very famous Finnish novel about the experience suffered uh, by a platoon of machine gunners during World War II, there was a version made shortly after publication in the fifties. That's, you know, very patriotic and very affirmative and, and kind of a classic war movie, the way we might think of yeah. it in America. Mulberg's version is very stark, very austere, very hellish. And basically from my, from what I understand, Hanu, again, you're the expert, but this mm-hmm. film was sort of made to demystify um, the theater of combat and to really, you know, give an unsentimental, uh, unromantic vision of, of this particular front during World War II, Ilka seems to have made major contributions to that aesthetic in the production of the film. But again, I wasn't there. So this is kind of, it was a choice that we made based on our conversations with his friends and family. Yes. And uh, Steve, can you actually talk a little more about the research and prep that went into putting together the series and sort of what did you discover along the way that, maybe set Ilka apart or what was sort of notable to you about her cinema that felt worth kind of, you know, celebrating in this retrospective format? Yeah. I mean, it's all very paradoxical. City Unplugged is, um, as we've evidenced by the screenings over the weekend, it's, it's really quite a crowd pleaser. It's, it's a very entertaining movie. It's designed to be entertaining. It's, you could put it in the tradition of like Frank Capra or Frank Borzehi or Billy Wilder, but it's also an action thriller. Um, it's like a heist movie. It's a heist movie. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's an American independent film, but it was made mostly with European money shot entirely in a foreign language in a country that was not the homeland of any of the filmmakers. So for that alone, it just sort of sort of startling, you know, attention grabbing kind of film um, but exactly as you say, Devika, each of the films is quite different. So working backwards from City Unplugged, I was like, well, how do I get a copy of Homeland? You know, I don't speak Finnish. How do I watch it in English? And then City Unplugged was sort of such a promising breakthrough film. You always want to know what happened next. And then that leads you to History is Made at Night. <laughs> the research process revealed that many of Ilka's friends and collaborators were not just unhappy with that film the same way Hanu is, but also kind of reluctant to talk about it because it was apparently such a um, painful experience for the filmmaker, you know, a $10 million project with A-list talent. It was originally set up to be directed by Neil Jordan, who backed out not at the last minute, but, but well into pre-production. Was the script by Ilka? No script by Patrick Amos and Jean-Pierre Gorin. Oh, right. Of course. Of course. You know, I, I noted that one and I was like, that's, yeah, that, that's amazing. And, 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 you know, Hanu, uh, take, do with this what you will, but the people who saw it over the, you know, we have one screening last night and then we have another one on Thursday. The people who saw it last night, at least who I checked out on Litterboxd or the ones I knew who I went, who went, who I texted, they said, yeah, this was an entertaining film. Of course it's weird and, wow. and, and, and it's not, it's not perfect, but it has a very spiky, interesting sense of humor. It has a lot of, you know, political critiques built into its kind of goofy slapstick comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think 
basically what I'm trying to say is that people who are not as close to the promise of Ilka's first two features probably have an easier time with this film than people who, you know, were there when Homebound was first seen or when City Unplugged was first seen, and definitely more so than people who knew kind of what he was going through at that time in the 1990s, trying to get his career off the map. The thing that, just I want to add one last thing and then I'll, you know, stop monologuing, but um, on Friday... Uh, we had Paul Colesby, the screenwriter of City Unplugged, and Chris Tellefson, the editor. And something that they both established very firmly is that Ilka did not want to be a quote-unquote Finnish filmmaker. He wanted to make big-budget, you know, world-renowned entertainments in the style of sort of traditional Hollywood, the biggest movies in the world that kind of would be seen by everybody. What I don't know, and maybe Hanu could speak to this, is where uh, Rennie Harlan might enter the picture because Rennie Harlan was the biggest filmmaker in Finland in the in the what in the late 1980s and successfully migrated to Hollywood as we all know so well that many people don't even realize Rennie Harlan is from Finland or that they're watching a Rennie Harlan film. He's integrated so well into society. We're not even sure. Uh, yeah, Hanu, it would be great to hear what your thoughts on that. I th- think that's a really interesting question. The comparison with Rennie Harlan, <laughs> yes. I think it's it's a it's a very good because I was also just before Steve said the name I I, I was thinking about Rennie Harlan and uh, what uh, Ilka Järvilaturi uh, could have made with uh, bigger budgets and and uh, uh, and and if he had more success in in Hollywood, uh, maybe he was just uh, the opposite kind of a person to Rennie Harlan. Um, maybe he couldn't uh, market himself as well. Uh, but also, uh, when we think about Rennie Harlan's best films, which I think is uh, uh, Kiss, Kiss, uh, Goodnight, Kiss Goodnight, is be- his best film, uh, uh, maybe the, it's just that um, some people are not, you know, very accustomed to the way Hollywood films are, are, are made and then they can't do their best work in those difficult situations. I don't know why... Uh, uh, he he didn't get uh, Ilka Järvilaturi didn't get to make another film because when I interviewed him in, in 1999, he said that he was hoping that he could make uh, another film and not have that kind of a uh, you know six year gap between films which was before. And he said that maybe next year he he would be starting a new film, but then uh, nothing really happened. So that's a the sad thing. But but. When we think, of course, that he had, he had only these three films made, of course, there's are people like Charles Lawton and then Dalton Trumbo who only made one film, and they uh, they are uh, great works in in the history of film, and we remember them. I think that uh, at least Ilka Jarvilaturi's two first films will be remembered, and if people get to see. Uh, City Unplugged, Darkness in Tallinn, at MoMA or anywhere else, I think they will. They all will uh, have a new favorite. One thing I would add, okay, two things. Typically, when we think of Finnish cinema, we think of Kaurismaki, and they're very, very different filmmakers. There are things, Hanu, you can uh, reach through the computer and slap me if this is incorrect, but I think, I think, I think there are things about Kaurismaki's work which some people think are signature to him that are really kind of just like Finnish you know, a certain droll, deadpan sense of humor. Of course, he has his own special way of making films, but it's not really right to say Ilka is comparable to him in terms of his style or his technique. I think Ilka, what you see in the, especially the first two films, because the third is kind of a, a mutant, as we've established, the first two films show he really wanted the movies to look good, to have a, a, a big scope, to have a very clean, kind of elegant editing structure, you know? Um, there's not a lot of handheld, there's not, there's certainly no jump cuts, there's, doesn't, that doesn't feel improvised. I think what he really mm-hmm. loved was classical, kind of, if not Hollywood, at least Hollywood-influenced cinema, mm-hmm. and, and, and Colesby said during the Q&A, you know, he paraphrased Billy Wilder, some directors like to be with the actors, some prefer to be with the camera, he said Ilka was more the latter, if you had to choose one of those two things. I'm wondering if, um, we can actually talk about the films in a little more detail, uh, starting with Homebound, which I think is a bit uh, is a little anomalous. I mean, they're all anomalous in their own way, but uh, you know, it's not droll in the same way that City Unplugged is, or you know, in the way that we are comparing the style to Korosmaki's. 
Steve, maybe you want to just say a little bit about Homebound, what the film is about and your first impressions of it when you saw it during the prep for this? Homebound is, I think, the only one to have a screenplay credit from Ilka. Um, I really don't know very much about the behind the scenes of it, but I believe, you know, he made some short films. He assisted directors on on other, not just The Unknown Soldier, but also The Winter War, which is another big budget war picture. And so I think he had a certain command of the scale of production by the time he made his first feature. Typically, at least coming from American independent background, we think of first feature as something extremely scrappy and low budget. And and when I first finally got a chance to see Homebound, thanks to an internet friend who had uh, prepared subtitles, you know, it was really striking how professional, not slick for its own sake, but just how kind of assured and accomplished the filmmaking was. The movie itself is... Um, a very unsparing, unromantic view of small town life. And this, you know, young man who basically gets a chance to study engineering in Helsinki, but because of his mother's toxic relationship with not just one, I mean, there's one guy, a a sort of an ex-convict, but also there's this network of kind of petty criminals around him. And that kind of keeps, you know, uh, pulling the main character Mika back to his hometown and, and kind of away from his studies. So, I think it's safe to say the film is a tragedy about sort of um, opportunity that doesn't get the, the ch- or potential that doesn't get the chance to fully realize itself, to kind of actualize. I would not go so far as to say that it's a metaphor for how Ilka felt about Finland, but there was, over the course of the weekend, there was this kind of refrain from multiple friends of his about how if he had chosen to remain in Finland, he would have had a totally different career than moving to New York City and, and um, this ambition to make big budget kind of more commercial entertainment. Homebound is a tough movie to watch, but it is also very compelling and it is very beautifully made. And, um, you know, I, I would kick it over to Hanu maybe to say more about that film. Was that film scandalizing when it came out? Is, mm-hmm. that, is that film a really stark departure from prior Finnish films that maybe tackled seri- similar subject matter? My feeling watching it is that this is a person who really wants to show you how unpleasant things really are. And movies are often more, you know, rose tinted than that. So I'd like to just add that uh, about Jarvi uh, Laturi's uh, writing credits. I haven't checked it on IMDb, but uh, he has uh, he has written also in this Mikko Niskanen's earlier mentioned film later in in his career, so he he was also a writer, and so that I don't forget to mention, I am always always so pleasantly surprised how well uh, Jarvi Laturi uses music in his films. Also, in history is made at night. That's just gorgeous. But about Homebound, uh, that was based on on a news story about a body that was uh, thrown into the sea in the city of uh, Oulu in 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 the north. And it was uh, talked about in in the news that uh, it was a revenge from the underground, from the from the from the gangsters. And what strikes me in that film that it's so rough. Uh, I think that rough lifestyle and the rough characters, and using amateurs with uh, with uh, professional actors, that comes very much from the films of uh, Rauni Mulberry, and also. Uh, the the very graphic sex, which I think that at that time that was the most graphic sex scenes seen on the Finnish um, uh, screen. Uh, maybe there were some before in the 60s in, in Jörn Donner's films, but it's still very striking. And of course, when that uh, sex scene between the lovers comes just after uh, the the killing and uh, the other attempt to kill, and then the mother of the son bursts into the room. So that's still <laughs> very, very shocking. Um, Steve was talking about Kauris Mackey in connection with um, with Jarvi Laturi, and I was just thinking that the the rooms in Homebound, the houses in Homebound, they could be from Fallen Leaves from Kauris Mackey or a Match Factory Girl. They are just used in different ways. And when Kaurismäki uses them, uh, those uh, old uh, 
old houses and rooms from from past decades, he uses them anachronistically uh, because they are old. They, we don't find that kind of rooms and houses in Finland anymore. But but they were realism in in that film of Ilka Jarvo Laturi in in 1986, all where this thing was supposed to happen. Uh, I love the film. Uh, the more I see those first two films, I love them more and more. And they have so much uh, going in them, so much, uh, they are so dense, and the in in intensity, the acting and everything is so so nice. Of course, these first film, two films are very different, but there is there is a connection and Oh, I love those things. I think that, yeah, and I think you mentioned the connection, and we can talk about City Unplugged now, but I think that uh, you there is a very clear uh, personality of the, the creator's personality. It's very clearly communicated across uh, all three of these films, really, um, including the including History is Made at Night, um, where you where maybe the slapstick comedy comes is slightly turned up a couple notches. And the violence is turned down, but this kind of uh, high octane violence, this kind of uh, Hollywood slapstick dialogue, the clean edit, as Steve mentioned, like I think that there's there's certain traits in all of these films that are very very consistent. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of slickness, I think, to all of them that at the same time doesn't feel cookie cutter, you know, uh, in the way that a Hollywood production might. Uh, we can talk about City Unplugged now because I think it really, it's the middle film and it is kind of a bridge film uh, and it really combines the tendencies of Homebound and histories made of ni- at night in some ways. First of all, I was just curious, you know, if Hanu, St- Steve, either of you had any context to why Ilka decided to make this Estonian film, you know, about... Estonian independence, uh, sort of how did he become attached to this movie? And it's also just very, uh, it's a very political film. There's a message, but that message is about Estonia. Again, yeah, like you're saying, it's about Estonian independence. It's not Finnish independence. Right. And for listeners who uh, don't know about the film, it's a heist set uh, right after Estonia achieved independence. Uh, and was due to get back its treasury from a bank in Paris where it had been held. And a group of criminals basically decide to steal the the gold that's coming back to Estonia. Criminals like ripped from Dick Tracy or something, each one with like very distinct trait. I, I right. love the characterization of the criminals. Yeah, and the one of the key sort of plot points is that in order to pull that off, they have to engineer a blackout, a, a power cut across the city for which they work with an electrician, you know, at the power plant. But a lot of things happen uh, even within this framework. Uh, it's a very dense movie in terms of plot and action. I think a couple things that really stood out for me, I think it's like it's very beautifully shot, um, you know, much of the movie is black and white, and then at some point it becomes. Uh, sorry, Steve is making a, a face that maybe I'm spoiling it, but switches to color. And I was looking at letterbox reviews of people who saw the movie at MoMA last week, and that moment was mentioned so many times. I mean, people really were taken with that switch in color. But you know, there's a whole chunk of the movie to, that takes place in the dark when the power cut happens, and I just thought it was filmed in such a gorgeous way, you know? And that's the thing where the movie in some ways fits the template of a Hollywood heist movie, but then there are these gorgeous, really kind of independent flourishes like those scenes in the dark. Um, And then also I was struck by how uh, dark in another way the movie is, in the, you know, dark emotionally the movie is too. There's actually a lot of violence that happens in... um, in a kind of deadpan way that took me by surprise, you know? There's violence and uh, deaths that you don't see coming, and the way they happen is is strangely kind of matter-of-fact. And always the same. Everybody dies in exactly the same way. But then there's also elements of melodrama, and, you know, Hanu was talking about the sex scenes in Homebound. There was a very sensual scene 
uh, in the beginning of City Unplugged, uh, where the electrician who's going to become embroiled in this in this whole heist is, um, how do I call it? Is applying a warm compress to his naked pregnant wife. And I again, I was just very surprised by how suddenly sensual and intimate that scene was after, you know, uh, the opening scenes, which were very much in the vein of just a classic heist movie. Um, so that's kind of my, th- those were my first impressions. But Steve, Hanu, I'd love you to talk a little more about, you know, genesis of the movie and yeah, how it ended up being Ilka's second film. Uh, I can say something about, I, I, it's just that I don't know why Ilka Jarvilaturi went to Estonia. We have we have close connections, of course, with our neighboring country, but uh, I don't know. Maybe he got the money there. I noticed that uh, the sound people in that film are from Finland. And also, the first, the song that we are hearing, the tomboy character Monica Meger as Terje singing at the beginning, uh, it's the national song of Estonia, but it's, it is also the music is also the same as in the national song of Finland. Only the lyrics are different. So that strikes a chord in Estonian and Finnish people. And of course, uh, the romance, which Devika mentioned, and it's, it's very beautiful. It's, it's Jarvi Latour's happiest films. That is what makes the film for me. Uh, and there's so much hope in this fi- film. And of course, the, the male characters, the, the star's uh, uh, name in the film is Toivo, which means hope in Finnish and hope also in Estonia. And of course, the children uh, are hope in this film that we are, we are seeing the babies. And also some people, they say, sing, we shall overcome and so on. And, and still about the romance, I would like to say, uh, because uh, <laughs> Derek already spoiled the film about the uh, color change that I was thinking about uh, uh, one of our favorite films, um, Powell and Pressburger's uh, uh, A Matter of Life and Death, that color change in that. And also in A Matter of Life and Death, there is the tear of love, which falls on the rose petal. And this, in this film, Dervilator's film, it falls on the uh, eye of, uh, of uh, his supposedly dead wife and 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 she wakes up. Another spoiler. Uh, that is such perfect uh, family <laughs> reunion at the at the hospital hospital in the end. That I I I really love love this film. Uh, Five thousand uh, buys a lot of baby food. They say so. There is this criminal plot also. And uh, and you were saying about those gangster characters when they they ca- come on the screen. I was thinking about some of. Fritz Lang's films, gangsters, but also Tarantino's because they have these code names. And of course, the heist is a bit like some things in uh, Lang's films, or maybe in um, in, in in Soderbergh's uh, <laughs> films too. So there are a lot of uh, parallels in in that beautiful beautiful little film. Yeah, I think uh, all the names you mentioned. Makes sense, Hanu, Tarantino, Lang, uh, Soderbergh. And I just wanted to mention one of my favorite moments in the film is, I think one of the gangsters is saying to another how you kind of, you can go, you can get in anywhere if you just say, I'm in charge of this fucking fiasco. (laughs) And he uses, they use that to just like get past the guards uh, at the power plant. And I I just thought that there's so many... Yeah, just funny little flourishes uh, in the film. I just and it, did we talk about who wrote this one? So I can I can speak to that, but but just let me uh, back up slightly. I, I love that line. I'm in charge of this fucking fiasco. I wonder <laughs> how many times they must have said that to each other while they were shooting the movie. Uh, um, so we we had this Q and A with Paul Colesby, who is the only credited screenwriter. IMDb is actually erroneous when it lists Ilka as co-writer. Um, but Ilka and Paul developed this movie concept together and in an interview with CNN, which I shared on Instagram, Ilka claims that he got the inspiration because he had a crush on an Estonian girl when he was in grade school. Um, that's obviously, you know, kind of a provocation, 
but it sort of reinforces what Hanu is saying about the close relationship between Finland and Estonia. And basically, I think when you ask how did this movie come to be, a big part of the explanation is because um, Estonia was the first formerly Soviet country to declare independence. Their economy was really starting from zero, and therefore they were able to do I think Paul's estimate on Friday night was they could get about 10 times their, their dollars worth uh, shooting there than, for example, in the U S oh. and probably a similar exponential <laughs> uh, uh, increase to if they had shot a movie in Finland. It's a heist of its own kind. It is sort of a heist of its own kind. And Paul regularly talks about it in these kinds of like breathtaking cinematic moments like the print arrived you know 45 minutes before the first screening at Cannes, and they almost had to cancel it or da 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 you know um but i think also and it's tough because there's so much fun stuff inside the movie to talk about but it also requires so much context outside the movie this movie was not an indie darling it was an extremely hard sell uh because it was mostly in black and white the reason most of it is in black and white is because that was the discounted soviet film stock available to the filmmakers and they found a way to make it work with the story i think very very ingeniously um i, I also love if by lindsey anderson but it's not the same because there they just jump from black and white to color sort of when they can and this movie has a conceptual excuse why it switches from black and white to color um but uh, outside the movie, it's it's we we actually it became a little awkward during the Q and A because I was just trying to understand the sort of distribution life that the film had, and it was Ilk, one of Ilka's closest friends told me it was sort of too popular and too rousing an entertainment to be an indie art house film, you know, that was sort of cherished by connoisseurs, but it was also too kind of esoteric and offbeat to really, you know, set the uh, Bob Shays and Harvey Weinsteins of the world on fire. Apparently, Miramax declined to work with Ilka because they said his movies were too witty, unquote, after City Unplugged, um, which seems like a really, you know, quite, quite a strong left-handed compliment in a way. But so, you know, the movie itself, part of the reason I love it is because it's this constant pirouetting between what feels like really, really high, dramatic, tragic stakes. And then everyone is sort of picking the piss, making fun of each other or themselves. One of the biggest laughs uh, at the screening on Friday was when a character rather unexpectedly just gets um, molten gold lava dumped on them. And then they just sort of <laughs> ignominiously die. And there's this wide shot. You're just kind of like, whoa, what just happened? You know, um, And then everybody goes about their business. <laughs> continuing <Exactly>. to load. <laughs> And, 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 you know, Ilka in that same CNN interview described it as being kind of a fairy tale where you really know who the bad guys are. You have by, at least by the end, you really know who the good guys are. And there is this kind of fundamental separation. Like you, you feel like people are at risk, but they're not really going to let this baby die in this incubator during this blackout. You know, it was actually more surprising to me working backwards to watch Homebound, which is just so bleak and, and so kind of merciless. And then you really think, wow, he had a very sophisticated sense of humor <laughs> to kind of go from that to City Unplugged. And it's a joyful film, City Unplugged. I mean, it's dark, but it, there's like there's joy in the act of of creativity. You can tell that everybody involved at the well. At the same time, there's there's control. Like one of the that's one of the primary characteristics of the film to me is this really uh, he has total control over the tone and total control over the, the images that we're seeing and and. Uh, the mood that that the film is communicating and uh part of that i think though comes through the incredible score which uh hano you mentioned but and i and this is another kind of bridge to um history is made at night which where the score is also very prominent and plays a large role in the film but here it's really um both the score and kind of this the i guess this may be a little in the weeds like the stereo picture like i felt like the control over sound <laughs> in this film was really uh sophisticated especially for something low budget um i don't know can you guys speak to that i know that hano you had some uh interactions with the composers is that right uh well yes uh i talked uh, or i got an email from from Almila, the composer and and he just said that he that Irta, uh left him with very free hands and the work was done by building moods in the in the music 
and they watched uh, the film together and and um, Atso Almila the composer uh, listened to what Ilka wanted for the film and then the f- financial realities were on the side of a small slightly jazzy or bluesy bluesy band and uh, he, he really uh, Atso Almila was very well acquainted with with the Oulu and uh, so it was a very pleasant uh, thing for him to him to do that they had a good work relationship and also of course the the use of the other you know needle drops grace jones and, and sakamoto and so they are also wonderful in 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 this film and what steve said about um uh, filming in estonia being cheaper than in finland it it still is today because many of releases that are now out in 2024 or, or last year, they some parts of it were filmed in Estonia because it is cheaper, <laughs> but it doesn't look like Finland. <laughs> well, just one quick note. Mader, the composer, also did the music for um, uh, The Wedding Banquet, Eat Man, Drink Woman, um, mm. uh, what is the In the Soup by Alexander Rockwell, um, Amos Poe's first quote-unquote big budget movie, Triple Bogey on a par five hole. So he was really in the mix, I think, in the 90s independent scene. And um, again, having never met Ilka, it seems safe to say that he had really great taste in music and a really sophisticated idea of how music works in film. City Unplugged ends with this kind of Spanish guitar suite, which is uh, inorganic to both Estonia and Finland, but, but... I love the endings of both of these films. I don't want to really spoil them for the few who will actually manage to go out and see them after listening to this podcast. But, <laughs> but, 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 they, well, no, because I mean, they're not on home video, but both Homebound and City, uh, City Unplugged end with this kind of feeling of, of a new beginning or a whole new opening, despite everything that has come before. And it's sort of like almost like, it's like you're high, you know, it's 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 like a brand new consciousness, even in the case of a tragic one in the first movie. So just wanted to plug that Mader, you know, uh, I believe is still working, but it's safe to say that 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 movie, especially City Unplugged, would be totally different without the score. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the score for History is Made at Night is one of my favorite things about the movie. But I can also see why someone who expected a rip-roaring, you know, action thriller, espionage thriller would just be like, what the hell is happening? I'm in this jazz club in the Arctic Circle. (laughs) Well, the opening scene in that film is like, is this overhead shot of a car kind of driving through the forest in the Arctic Circle, right? With this like saxophone quartet, like doing some kind of Steve Reich, like minimalist thing. And I was like, oh, this is my, this is my shit. (laughs) Like, like, I'm going to like this movie. Uh, I didn't ultimately like it as much as that opening scene but like i still think that <laughs> but but what but what i did but what i will say is like that same wit is present then that same the same cinematic wit and the same t- like control over tone i think it, and that's kind of what i was most impressed with even even as he scaled up the budget and there was clearly like a lot more pressure you have stars you have uh you know color film stock i mean can you imagine uh and you know, you st- he still was able to slip in these like goofball moments mixed with this kind of dark, or just like I don't know if it's even dark, but there is like sort of a casual violence that implies kind of a dark view of humanity. I mean, I think what I found, I, first of all, I found this film so surprising. I just every turn that it takes is just sort of weird, and you know, it's about. I don't know how one would describe what it's about. Uh, it at least starts off with a meeting between a CIA agent and an SVR, which was a new name of the KGB agent, who kind of have this border-crossing love story. Um, they're on opposite sides, but played by Bill Pullman and Irene Jacobs. Irene Jacobs. She was a, a big Kislowski collaborator. Yeah, and she's the SVR agent, and... There's a track of them kind of being, yeah, these sorts of political enemies, I guess, but having this on and off affair. And then there's also this guy who is tasked with delivering a tape from New York City to Helsinki. He's some kind of criminal who's just gotten out of prison and he's looking for gigs. Played by Bruno Kirby, Billy Crystal's best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... And he just seems like he's walked out of some, you know, 
mob movie, like New York mob movie, his accent, his demeanor. And he's tasked with delivering this tape, which has a porn, like hardcore pornography on it with some kind of hidden message. And his excuse is that he's going to a condom convention. I mean, all of it is just the details are so spectacularly goofy. And I think what I was struck by it and that reminded me of City Unplugged is that you know, even though there's a lot that happens in terms of uh, sort of genre movie, you know, turns and there's, there's in this movie, there's thefts and murders and chases and, you know, all of that. But much of the movie is really about people talking, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the actual events feel very kind of matter of fact and like punctuations. But the movie is just, it's very verbose and it's people talking to each other and it's, the dialogue seems to be like really invested with the meat of the movie. It's kind of funny and witty and goofy and also banal. Um, And again, I was just struck by that, how the movie seems very dense on the one hand, but then also very even keeled and sort of talky on the other. Well, it's, I mean, it, it shares a title with the Frank Borzaghi movie, right? The screwball comedy with, Charles Boyer and Gene Arthur, where he's like a thief. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I was trying to, I thought this would be an adaptation of it on some level. And <laughs> it is on some level. It's But that's again, like the wit, right? That might be why he was not, he didn't become Rennie Harland. Cause I don't think that this is operating at a level of reference that I don't, that you don't really come across in uh, screwball action spy thrillers from the late nineties very often i mean i think i think if city unplugged cuts both ways it's it's not art house enough for the art house but it's sort of too spectacular and weird to be a mainstream you know a heist movie release um again the, the the term i keep coming back to for history is made at night is just taking the piss in other words if you were expecting a hard-hitting rennie harlan style you know action thriller you're going to be totally baffled um but it's also not as sort of incisive and as sort of barbed in its critiques as City Unplugged. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is interesting, Hanu, people, you know, I'm in my 30s. I think people in their 20s and 30s who have managed to see the film are are really appreciating the vibe of it specifically a lot more. It must have been much more frustrating when it first came out. And and another thing that I heard from from multiple of Ilka's friends over this weekend is that if he had gone back to Finland and decided to recommit to making a Finnish film with Finnish state support, he probably would have found that support, but he, he really wanted to be kind of in the big leagues. And this movie in some ways unintentionally demonstrates how unique and esoteric his vision was. I was also thrilled when I finally got a chance to see it, that this is, you know, you you do get to see Ilka's depiction of New York city a little bit. And and that is super fun and very nineties crazy Dutch angles, everyone seems to be pissed off and in a hurry, you know, like. The movie also, uh, it brought Brian De Palma to mind for me, uh, this kind of slightly schlocky, you know, taking the piss vibe and playing on genre conventions uh, and being sort of, yeah, like B-movie-esque, but also you can see very clearly that a smarter vision is at play. Uh, Should we... Talk about Jean-Pierre Gorin's uh, writing credit on this. You mentioned that earlier, Steve, but sort of how did that happen? Um, Yeah, how did this particular collaboration happen in this film? So I have reached out to Gorin about this film. I have not heard back. I think he's Mm -hmm. living in Southern California. He's in his 80s. He's probably very busy. Um, the screenplay existed before Ilka came aboard. So this is not an Ilka conceived project from stem to stem. Um, and I believe actually this was supposed to be, like I said, Neil Jordan, not only was he going to direct it, but I think it was going to be his follow-up to the crying game, which might explain part of the scale of production. But unfortunately what Goran and Amos who wrote routine pleasures together 10 years earlier, what they get out of it, I really have no idea. Um, but it is a defiantly postmodern film, I think, is one way you could describe it. And that is consistent with some of their other work. I don't know. Hanu, do you... History is made at night. Do you want to go a little more on the record? or 
Well, yeah, yes. Uh, what Devika said about Brian De Palma is, is better than I thought because I, I was thinking that maybe maybe this isn't a really spy or thriller romance, but it's kind of a sleazy, sexy sex comedy because there's this uh, sex industry, porn videos, phone sex, reindeer condoms, and candles in the shape of penises. Mm-hmm. And they sell those in Finland. This today also, if you come to Helsinki, you can find the Giggly shop in Finland. But they are very tasty and beautiful penis candles there. Uh, but uh, I think maybe that uh, Brian De Palma reference is is a, a bit more uh, more appropriate. Uh, I wrote here on my notes that uh, history is made at night is a it's is much ado about nothing, but not comparable to Shakespeare and or a, a shaggy dog story with no palm dog inside uh, there are many it's uh, funny that it's uh, written by Gorin because uh, there are many familiar um, uh, things in it this mm-hmm. crisscrossing over 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 the globe and uh, also I I really but I don't know if it works because half the time we don't know what is happening and why and why should we bother but in, in, in at the end it gets a bit better and I think that the music is again handled very well and the Courtney Pine original soundtrack but also there is a Russian love song uh, Light of Mas- Moscow Mos- uh, Moscow and Valot which is very um, well known in Finland and that's repeated at least three times in different versions and it's it's very well used in in in, in that film and I think that now that I watched it again, I think Irene Jacob and Bill Pullman do their utmost to keep the boat flowing, but it's not much that they can do. But 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 they really uh, do their money's worth. So so there are things that I like about it, the film because I was I was maybe stopping to see it because it made me so depressed after these great two first films. But I'm glad that I saw it because it gets a bit better that the nightclub uh, scene the empty nightclub the empty uh, dance floor there where they are kind of having a choreograph dance fight and so on it gets a bit better there's an uplift at the end and the music is good and the actors are quite good i i think there's a version of the film where that's that's more about the uh, uh, trust issues between the two spies and that's and that become that where you can see that story being like a much like the filmmakers seem to be more interested in that than all the to do about the videotape and and the CIA ah. and Bruno Kirby's character. And you know, as I was watching, I was you know, I'm just speculating, but I'm just wondering, like, were the notes from the studio like, let's go, but let's more in. We need more like spy <laughs> stuff, more like shooting and guns, and less like, do you are you actually in love with me, or are you just pretending to because you're a spy and I'm a spy? And when we first met, did you really like like me, or did you just like? Because I think there's a there's a couple scenes where they get into that in like a really kind of in a in a classic Hollywood comedy vein. Um, and, and, um, yeah, that to me is what, what comes through as the, uh, most interesting part of the movie. I do think it has all the makings of this, a kind of cult favorite, you know? Um, I, I enjoyed it very much, even though it felt like, um, a step down from the first two films, but it, it feels like a very, it's, it's weird, it's genuinely weird in a way that neither, you know, City and Unplugged is very funny, but it's not quite as weird. This movie is genuinely weird um, in a way that I think is going to be loved by <laughs> many people and has, yeah, it, it has the makings of, I think, becoming kind of a sleeper cult fave. And weirdly, I think, is more in keeping with like the indie, U.S. indie vibes than uh, City Unplugged. Or homebound, like this movie, the goofiness and the mixed with kind of mm-hmm. you know international spy shooting each other and sex and stuff is much more like kind of the same. I don't know, is more like Tarantino esque, I guess, on some level. I, I want to say a couple quick things. I, I do agree that you can see you can see the Tarantino influence again. I keep bringing up Neil Jordan. You can see maybe some of this crying game type stuff. Um, 
it feels very Clinton era to me, very sort of innocuously pre 9-11. I think it's criticisms or it's it's a, a satirization of the KGB via Udo Kier's character is very consistent with City Unplugged. And City Unplugged is the more perspicacious film. But as I wrote in the program notes on the MoMA website, Ilka was not wrong about the kind of rearranged priorities after the Cold War of of the kind of oligarchies and, and petrocracies of former Soviet territories. Or the uh, total apathy of the of the CIA, who don't seem to actually care about anything that's happening. <laughs> Indeed. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, speaking with his friends and collaborators and sort of preparing the series, I said, well, should we leave this film out? And they said, no, absolutely not. It is definitely an Ilka film. It definitely should be included, even if just to give a sense of kind of the scope and the the trajectory of his career. Um, but especially rewatching it recently, I was like, this is such a classic prime example of how when everything, when something goes wrong, the director takes all of the blame. In other words, success has many fathers, failure has one. You know, it's especially true with filmmaking, especially a, a name filmmaker who had had a promising breakout and then this is kind of a non sequitur, but maybe you can edit it in somewhere earlier. You talked about Much Ado About Nothing. Um, Homebound is obviously uh, uh, consciously influenced by Oedipus Rex. And um, on Friday night at the City Unplugged, Paul Colesby talked about how he and Ilka wanted to make fun of Romeo and Juliet yeah. with City Unplugged. <laughs> Which is why there's this repeat joke of someone thinking someone else has died and then basing their decisions off of that. And then later it's like, wait, no, he's alive, you know. So, so this is just to say in all three films, you can see specific tropes being interrogated, dismantled, uh, satirized, etc. And I think, you know, the, the, the brain behind that is just seems very restless, very creative, kind of poking fun at everything, turning everything over and inside out. Um, I do wish that he had made more films. Oh, yeah. So maybe to wrap up, uh, I don't know if Hanu has any more insight on why Ilka stopped making films after History is Made at Night. It's it's a mystery to me. After after I interviewed him in 1999, he some Christmases he sent me a, a Christmas card by email. But, uh, I, I really don't know. I, I hope that Steve has had uh, some uh, conversation with uh, his family or his friends that maybe maybe uh, shed slight on 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 that part of it. I, I suppose he was doing doing uh, advertisement and that kind of uh, work, but perhaps he did just didn't get his ideas uh, in film forms after that. But two great films is two great films. <laughs> two great. I mean, I'm not talking about Ilka. I'm talking about anybody. One decent. Yeah film is a huge accomplishment so yeah. two great films is not to be taken for granted um yeah. my understanding it's important when we tell this story not to position him as a total victim mm. things did not work out the way he wanted with history is made at night mm. but it seems that he was also a very stubborn and proud person he wrote many screenplays there was a werewolf screenplay which i'm i'm quite curious to maybe perhaps read someday um in the you know into the 2000s i think his 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 chances at making another movie at the scale of History is Made at Night or even a smaller scale uh, seem less and less. He moved to China where he directed commercials and um, pursued other projects. If you go to his IMDb, you see a film starring Joan Chen that actually never got even, not a frame of film was shot. But I'm, I'm told that Ilka was very savvy about, you know, editing his own IMDb about, sort of hyping up this this production on the internet before it was even officially greenlit um and so that's interesting uh john chan and tony uh tony lung wow. not the the one from hard boiled but the other one um so that would have been a big film i think at least in the chinese context and uh it, it sounds totally sui generis like the other films we've been talking about um in the 2010s he relocated from china to burma and there he was working on a project, and then he fled during a crackdown of the dictatorship. And my understanding is that the person who he was collaborating with and to whom he entrusted his materials uh, was actually um, arrested and killed by the Burmese government or the government of Myanmar, if you want to say. So it's a sad story, but 
you know, he was obviously trying to make films for the rest of his life. Um, and then until he couldn't, uh, yeah, again, totally unique. I don't know anyone else's career trajectory who plays out this way. And Ilka does have a YouTube channel where you can watch clips anyway from some of the stuff he was making in China. Uh, wow. Yeah, maybe, maybe he thought China would be another a, a fresh start in terms of getting money to make something bigger budget that would reward his particular sense of production value, you know? like. Well, that's a great story. And um, I think I'm I'm just glad that we're able to see these films in New York City, finally, uh, all together. So thank you so much, Steve, for making that happen. Do you want to quickly, before we wrap up, plug the upcoming screenings that those in New York can check out if they're interested in these movies? Great, yeah. Um, we have one screening that's going to be rescheduled because it was shut down on Saturday. But that means that there are two upcoming chances to see Homebound on, on this really, really nice 35 millimeter print from Finland's National Audiovisual Archive. The first is at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, the 13th, which I guess is today. Uh, per publication. I don't know yet when the second one is, but I can get that information to you a little bit later today. Um, and then History is Made at Night will play again at 4.30 on Thursday, February 15th. And The Unknown Soldier will play at 6 p.m. on Friday the 16th. So two more for Homebound, one more for History, one more for The Soldier. I hope someday City Unplugged receives a week run in a New York City repertory cinema because people loved the movie so much, it felt a little bit mean to only give them two opportunities to catch it. But, you know, that's often how it works with this kind of thing. It's a start. Yeah. Cool. We will make sure to link this in the description, uh, link the showtimes for the upcoming screenings. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much, Hanu, for joining us all the way from Finland and speaking with us about Ilka's work and background. This was just very informative and lovely, and I hope our listeners will enjoy it as much as we did. It's always great to learn about some films that we had no idea even existed before and are so remarkable. Thank you both. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for MoMA and Film Comment for celebrating Ilka Järvilaturi's life and work this way. Thank you. Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.